Lord, thank you for speaking to us this morning. We're still open to what you want to say to us through James. And we pray, O oh God, that you will bless him as he comes and speaks your word to us. May we hear, receive, and by your, your grace, do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Morning, all. Great to be back in Beckles. We've been away on a family holiday this week, a certain forest-based holiday place, um, enjoying muntjac deer and squirrels eating our breakfast. And apart from the cold, we feel well-rested. <laughs> um, for those who are new uh, here today, my name's James. I'm part of the leadership team uh, here at New Life. And uh, we're going through at the moment a series on 1 Corinthians, looking at what it means to be a church that's shaped by Jesus' gospel of love. Um, so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians uh, 13 mostly. We'll take a clip a verse off 12 and 14 as well. So do turn there if you've got a Bible. Don't worry if you don't. It'll uh, appear on the screen behind me, <coughs> excuse me, in a bit. And then uh, we'll read from there. Now I wonder what you think it means to be a spiritual person. What does it mean to be spiritual? What does it mean to be a little bit off the wall? A little bit quirky? Perhaps a little bit mysterious in the things that you say. Perhaps maybe from another planet. Or the kind of person who just talks nonsense because the material world is, is all there is. Or is it somebody you think of kind of having that holier-than-thou kind of religiosity about them? Is a spiritual person the kind that has a kind of self-righteousness about them that kind of puts your nose out of joint and makes you just want to exit, exit the conversation as quickly as possible and get away? Um, what does it mean to be spiritual? That kind of holier-than-thou self-righteous attitude was... Um, what kicked off a, a movement in the 60s, or it was a, in part a reaction against that kind of religiosity that people saw as being part of the traditional church. And uh, one of the songs that came out of that movement, uh, the anti-war movement, was All You Need Is Love. Da, 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 da. You probably know it better than I. Um, but uh, it was, uh, it was a, a theme of that kind of era, of a kind of motto, if you like, of, um, of what people stood for, of a message that they had for the world. Um, and I wonder if um, that perception of Christianity and of church is, is yours. Maybe you're visiting here today, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, and you've kind of got that perception of church as being a place for the self-righteous, for the holier-than-thou who look down their nose at other folk. Um, and today, the, the passage that we're looking at is going to warn against a false kind of spirituality. Um, it's going to warn against a sense of spiritual competitiveness, of holier-than-thou, of self-righteousness. And it's going to hold up to us what true spirituality looks like and what it truly means um, to love. And the connection between spirituality and love. Uh, so let's read the passage together. The staff in uh, chapter 12, verse 31. <coughs> Excuse me, and we'll read through to 14.1. If I speak... Oh no, sorry. 
31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I even deliver my body up to be burnt, but have not love, I gain nothing. So love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they'll pass away. As for tongues, they'll cease. As for knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. So when I, was like a ch- when I was a child, I spoke like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then, face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. So now faith and hope and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Uh, The Corinthians um, had a kind of spiritual superiority complex about them. They had this sense that they had arrived We've achieved true spirituality and their practice of spiritual gifts in their gatherings. Their outward spiritual appearance and practice was impressive. Healings, miracles, incredible acts of uh, miraculous faith, wisdom, knowledge that they just couldn't have known were clearly supernatural. People speaking in tongues and interpretations that encouraged and built up the body and prophecy ongoing all the time. Uh, It was an impressive church to be in. And they had that sense of, we have the eternal, we've arrived. True spirituality is ours. And Paul's going to warn them that this kind of outward religious appearance, this outward spiritual appearance, is not the real thing. It's not about religious performance. It's not about outward actions. It's not about what you see on the surface. That's not what following Jesus is about. He's going to say even the spiritual gifts of tongues, prophecy, um, interpretations, healings, they may appear very impressive on the surface, but they can still miss the point of following Jesus. You can be doing something on the surface that appears very noble, very respectable, incredibly religious and spiritual, something that's Um, Very impressive. But it's not the outward appearance that matters because that's not what God sees. There's a a time in the Bible when 
uh, a prophet called Samuel is looking for the king of Israel. And the Lord says to him this. God says to him, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I've rejected him. So don't look at how impressive he looks. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And this is what the Corinthians have been doing. They've been so impressed with the outward appearance of spirituality and the gifts in their meetings that they had neglected what was truly important, that the Lord looks at the heart. It's What matters is what's at the root of our hearts. That's truly who we are. It's what's foundational in your life. And then out of that place, out of the depth of your heart, comes a love that's characterized by what's ever going on in there. Jesus talks about this, about trees bearing fruit, doesn't he? Good trees bear good fruit. Bad trees bear bad fruit. They both bear fruit. They can look the very same on the outside, but their roots are very different. And that's what Paul's talking about here. What matters is what's at the root of your heart. It dictates the rest of your life and how you lead it. So you can do the very same outward act and appear exactly the same as somebody else, but be characterized by something completely different at the root of it and in your heart. Um, You could be enthusiastic in worship, dancing, singing, yelping, shouting, whooping, giving God abundant, lavish, exuberant praise, just like the Psalms command. Yeah? And you could be doing it out of a sense of, um, gosh, people must be thinking I really love the Lord. <laughs> look, look at my crazy dancing. You'd only do this if you love the Lord. You wouldn't do it for any other reason. It could be out of a sense of obligation. Maybe it could be out of a sense of feeling part of the crowd. Everybody else is doing it because you feel you should. Or so people will think you're a Christian who's really going for it. The same person could be stood next to them, whooping, yelping, shouting praise to the Lord, going crazy in their dancing and in their praise, enthusiastic, all out of a sense of, wow, the Lord has loved me. And I just want to love him back with abundant praise. They're doing exactly the same thing. But what's going on in their heart is very, very different. And to you and I, we're looking at exactly the same thing. Bob and Bill both love Jesus. And they're really going for it in praise and giving him the exuberant praise he deserves. But actually in the heart, there's something very different going on. And this can be true of anything that we do in life. It can be true of the way that we serve in church. (coughs) We could be doing it for a sense of status, of self-congratulation to be approved of. Or we could be doing it because Jesus has given his life to us. And so I'm giving my life to others. It could look very similar on the outside. This person's pouring tea and coffee. This person's pouring tea and coffee. But they're doing it for very different reasons. And it's characterized in a different way. The same outward act, but Paul's warning is, it's the heart that matters. It characterizes everything that you do. So the Corinthians had fallen foul of this spiritual pride, of this self-righteousness, had missed the point of the gospel. The foundation of living had been swept from beneath their feet and it undermined everything that they were doing. So Paul reminds them at the beginning of 1 Corinthians in chapter 1 verse 2, walk in love. And that's really quite a major theme throughout the whole of the letter. He keeps reminding them what the Christian life is truly about. That They've missed the point. 
It's about walking in love. And so verses 1 to 3, he says, without this love, which is necessary for the Christian life, your life is just like a noisy gong. It's like a clanging cymbal. He might well be referring to pagan worship, which was often uh, had gongs being banged. And what he's saying is your life, if, if it's not characterized by love, makes a hollow, empty sound like that of the, those who are pagan worshippers at the time. It's not making a beautiful tune at all. It might look the same on the outside, but God looks on the heart and he hears the true sound of the music that your life is playing. You can speak in tongues, prophesy, have supernatural knowledge of the spiritual, supernatural faith for the miraculous. You can make massive selfless sacrifices. That's what he's referring to when he says, if I offer my body up to be burned. But what matters is what's going on in your heart. Without love for your neighbor, without others and other people's needs coming before our own, your actions have no real spiritual impact or effect. They're empty and hollow. They're what we often call dead works. We can appear very religious, very noble, very spiritual, worthy of repute and imitation. But inwardly, our ethical life can amount to nothing. And that's what he says. He says, it makes you achieve nothing. It makes you nothing. You gain nothing. It's what the heart is the heart that really matters. <clears throat> so what does it mean to be spiritual? Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and mind, strength. And love your neighbour as yourself. What does it mean to walk in the spirit, as Paul writes in Galatians five? Love. What does it mean to follow Jesus? It means to love. Life characterized by that. Doing Christian stuff, serving at church praying, reading your Bible, uh, church activities, um, contributing gatherings, giving money, acts of service, uh, work amongst the poor, moving in the power of the Spirit um, supernaturally, things like that that aren't characterized by love, achieve nothing, make us nothing, gain us nothing, they're dead works. So Jesus is less concerned about what we do as a church and um, it's important to remember that as we kind of in this season of hearing from God about vision and direction and where the Lord might take us we can get a little bit caught up in it as if that were the most important thing but to be honest if we have a flag waving ministry or run a food bank it doesn't really matter if you do one without love and the other with love the with love thing is the thing that lasts and has real impact the thing you don't do with love has no impact at all. That's what truly matters when it comes to following Jesus. <coughs> so what's the application for us? If I serve on the New Life leadership team, but have not love, I'm like a clanging cymbal, a noisy gong. just amounts to nothing. What's it for you? If I'm an upstanding member of the community, but have not love, it's nothing. I'm a respected member of New Life Congregation, been there since the start, but have not love. It's nothing. 
if I'm an honest, hard-working, salt-of-the-earth type, but I have not love. It's nothing. It's empty. It's hollow. So what about you? What are the ethical, spiritual, religious church activities that have come to mark your identity? That if you think about it, you're actually quite proud about. Actually, this is something I'm, I've achieved or the kind of person I've become and I'm, I feel good about that. There aren't many others like me. <laughs> Where is it that in your heart what you do has more to do with you than how it serves other people? It's often a difficult one to think about in church because I'm doing something I love to do. I really enjoy studying the word and preaching. Um, And there's a difference, isn't there, between enjoying something and your heart slipping into a place where it becomes the thing. And it didn't really matter. If somebody took it away from you, it would be a bit disastrous. Yeah? I wonder what those things are for us. Paul wants to remind us, verses 1 to 3, love is necessary. That's the first point. Thanks, Tom. Uh, The second point he wants to make is about the nature of love in verses 4 to 7. If being spiritual, walking in the Spirit, following Jesus is to love, then what is love? Isn't love kind of turned into culture? A little bit of an ambiguous term, hasn't it? A bit fluffy, a bit woolly, a bit ambiguous. What does it even really mean? I love Norwich City Football Club. (laughs) <laughs> I was waiting for that. I knew, knew some comment would come from over here. Um, <laughs> uh, I love fried breakfasts. Mm. had a week of those on holiday. I love fish and chips. We, we use the word in a, in a funny kind of way, don't we, in lang- language. Love can mean many kinds of things. Um, but what does love really mean? And Paul's going to put that in context um, the nature of the love that Paul is writing about <coughs> will rid us of any kind of sense of spiritual competitiveness, of any kind of superiority complex, of thinking ourselves better than others. In verses 4 to 7, he unpacks who God is. 1 John uh, 4.16 says, God is love. And so when he's writing about what love is, he's describing God. And Jesus is God revealed to us in human flesh. And so what he's doing is he's reminding them about Jesus and who he is in his very nature. What is at the root of Jesus' heart? And he does that by telling them that Jesus is exactly the opposite of what they're like. He's very tailored this description of love for the Corinthians. And he's going, Jesus is this, and you're not. He's just left that bit out. (laughs) And we could easily replace this uh, um, poem, really, with uh, Jesus. Jesus is patient and kind. The Corinthians didn't wait for and accept and welcome and love each other at the bread, when they were eating bread and wine together. They ate separately. We're the haves. We're going to have our meal. You're the have-nots. Have them out elsewhere. Jesus welcomes us into his family. Romans 2.4 says that he's patient and withholds judgment from us, even though we're deserving of it. And he invites us to his table to eat his bread and his wine, his body and his blood. 
so that we know that all that he is, is ours. Jesus does not envy. He doesn't set us himself up as our rival. The Corinthians have got all competitive about their spirituality, but Jesus, thank God he doesn't set himself up as our rival. <laughs> it's not a competition I'd fancy my chances in. You know? But he shares everything he is and everything he has with us. Jesus does not boast. The Corinthians boasted of their spirituality, of this holier-than-thou attitude. Jesus is the only person who could have boasted and remained humble. Imagine that. Somebody boasting, telling you how great they are, and you're thinking, well, Jesus could have done that, and you'd have gone, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't have thought, I want to punch that guy. You'd have thought, yeah, he's, he's on the money. He really is like that. Jesus is not arrogant or proud. He, he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. He's not rude. The Corinthians had disregarded the have-nots of the world. Jesus mixed with them, spent time with them. They were his friends. He was all about the have-nots. He said, um, Luke 4.18, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor, to the have-nots of this world. Jesus doesn't insist on his own way. The Corinthians had been claiming their rights to eat idle food, and we've heard about that this series. I want to eat with my mates in the temple, it's fine. Paul, you do this and that. Um, Jesus in Gethsemane shows that he's not about self-gain, self-justification, self-worth. It's, Father, I really don't want to do this. Death on a cross, please no. But your will be done. For these that you've given me, Whatever, Lord. I'll do whatever it takes. Nothing for himself. Thinking of us. He's not irritable. He's not easily angered. Like a dad dad of young children. He's not resentful. (laughs) The Corinthians had a score to settle with Paul, didn't they? They kept dragging up things that they thought, well, you, you aren't that special, Paul. You did this and you did that. They're holding on to things. But Jesus doesn't count our sins against us. He's removed them as far as the east is from the west. On the cross, he's forgiving those who are crucifying him. He's not waiting to settle the score on judgment day. He's forgiven us completely. Judgment is no longer on us. Jesus doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but with the truth. He doesn't care for oppression of the poor, misdeeds and sin. He's about forgiveness offered. He's about kindness done. Jesus bears all things. He believes all things. He hopes all things. He endures all things. There's nothing Jesus cannot face. He's looked sin, evil, death in the face and defeated it once and for all on the cross and in his resurrection. There's no sin, trial, temptation, circumstance, betrayal, unfaithfulness of ours that he cannot overcome. Because he's confident in the future. He knows what's going to happen. He's going to return. Victory will be his. And new heavens and new earth will be ours. And so because he's confident in the future, he's persistent in the present with us. Despite what we've hearing about this morning, our failures, despite our imperfection, as Terry was bringing, actually Jesus is persistent with us. Doesn't let go of us. I wonder, um, Tom, could we go back to the passage? I wonder if you were reading that through and replacing love with your name. James is 
patient and kind. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> just take a, a moment and read the passage through and just replace the word love uh, with your own name, just silently in your head, and then we'll carry on in a minute. I wonder which bits made you squirm as you read it. <laughs> well, that's not very much me. I think more accurately, we should replace it with new life. New life is patient and kind. New life does not envy or boast. They're not arrogant or rude. They don't insist on their own way. New life are not irritable or resentful. They don't rejoice at wrongdoing, but they rejoice with the truth. New life bear all things. They believe all things. Hope all things. They endure all things. It's tough, isn't it? It's a hard one. It's even impossible, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's impossible. It can be overwhelming. You ever had that sense of an awareness of your own sin and your heart sinks? You just think, I'm so far from what Jesus has made me to be. How am I ever going to get there? For us to move in the power of the Spirit in a way which is characterized by this kind of love, we need to be full of Jesus and full of his Holy Spirit. There are some remarkable people in the Bible, aren't there, who did incredible acts of love. Um, Stephen, remember Stephen? Early church is in Acts 6, and they threaten to stone him because he's preaching. And they drag him away, stone him to death. And as they're stoning him to death, he forgives those who are stoning him. I mean, it's difficult to forgive people for the smallest things sometimes, isn't it? They kind of reet away at you. This man's being stoned to death by murderers and he's asking he's saying I forgive you Acts 6.55 describes him as being full of the Holy Spirit that's how he did it full of Jesus full of Jesus' love full of the Holy Spirit what enabled Jesus to resist temptation for 40 days teach, heal, care for people Acts 4 verse 1 says, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And it continually says, in the Spirit he did this, in the Spirit he did that. He's full of the Holy Spirit, full of love. What will enable us as a church to love our neighbor, teach one another to follow Jesus, to heal people, to move in the Spirit, to bring gifts, (coughs) to care for Beckles and Waveney, being full of, the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. We need to desperately feel our need to be filled with Jesus and his love. And that really only comes with the Holy Spirit convicting us of our desperate need for him and our inability without him. If we have a self-righteousness that's, I can do this, I'm fine, 
we're going to, we miss out. It's only those who are broken and contrite in spirit that the Lord's looking for, who he fills with his spirit and his love to have true gospel impact. That's what we need as a church. We need to be full of the spirit so that everything that we do, regardless of what it is, is characterized by love. We're not asking for it for power's sake. We're not asking for it because we'd like Sunday morning meetings that are spiritually impressive. We're asking for it because we want to be so full of his supernatural love for other people that it characterizes everything that we do as a church. And it has true impact on the hearts of people who have sat in front of us. When you're contributing something in a meeting, it's not to appear impressive. It's to love the other people sat in the room. So they'll be built up and encouraged. It's for the common good, as he's already written about. It's so that we don't make the empty, hollow sound like a clanging cymbal or a noisy gong that people have hated in the past about Christianity in the church. It's so that people are truly loved and so that they truly encounter Jesus. So if we want to humbly and not self-righteously love others as Jesus commanded, we need to be full of the Holy Spirit. It's not just because we're a charismatic church and we're pushing that agenda just because it's the kind of thing that our churches like to do and think is important. It's because we need... The body builds itself up in love. And to, to love each other, we need to be full of the Holy Spirit. So if we want to love Beckles and beyond better, if we want to have true gospel impact, as Rod preached a couple of weeks ago, there must be more than this. If we want the more of this, do we want that? Then we need to be full of the Holy Spirit. That's the nature of love. Verse 18 to 13, he goes on and he talks about... Tom, do you mind flicking it to the (coughs) third bullet point? Thanks. He talks about enduring love. Having encouraged us to pursue true love, Paul now wants to put it into proper perspective with gifts. The Corinthians had over-spiritualized themselves. They had made uh, gifts the ultimate, eternal state that they had arrived at, lasting spirituality, but he wants to remind them that the gifts are temporary. Whereas love is eternal, it never ends. And that the eternal is what dictates the temporal, the now, not the other way around. So to put gifts in proper perspective, he reminds us that we're living in a time now when Jesus has ascended into heaven, is seated on a throne in heavenly places, reigning and ruling over all creation, awaiting the time when he will return to earth to judge the living and the dead and come to claim victory and consummate his victory to complete all that his saving work on the cross Um, has done and and at the moment we're living in between those times awaiting Jesus' return so if you like we're in the now but there's also a a not yet we often talk about when we talk about the kingdom there's a now there's things that are happening in the present but there's a, a then coming there's a not yet a day when Jesus returns and so in verses 8 to 12 he says he's distinguishing between the now and the then He's distinguishing between the partial and the complete, between the mirror dimly and the face-to-face, between the knowing in part and the knowing fully. One writer says this, Our present vision of God, as great as it is, is as nothing when compared to the real thing that is yet to be. It's like the difference between seeing a reflected image in a mirror and seeing a person 
face to face. It's the difference between me pulling out my phone, flicking through my photos and thinking, that's a beautiful picture of my wife. Mm. And actually giving my wife a smacker. (laughs) They're very different experiences. It's in part. And it's great, but it's very disappointing in comparison to what's the true reality of giving her a kiss. They're very different. And that's what Paul is saying. (laughs) He's saying, pursue love, pursue Jesus. It's primary, it's foundational beyond anything else. Because his supernatural love is for eternity. It's not just for now, it's on into eternity. And everything that's done and is characterized by love will carry on into eternity. So we don't have to worry about the things that we do here that we get frustrated that was never completed, that never came to fruition as I thought it was, uh, thought it would be, that I never saw that thing through. If it was characterized by love, it carries on into eternity and it lasts because love never ends because God is love and God never ends. The gifts will pass away, they'll cease, they're only for now, but the point of the gifts of the Spirit are to build up the church now, to build up the body, as we heard about last week. But when Jesus returns, the final purpose of his saving work will be complete, and that means the gifts will no longer be needed. Because Jesus will come, we'll have the the real thing, we'll be face to face with him for eternity. We don't need the other things to build us up in love. We're seeing Jesus love itself face to face. We won't need gifts anymore because we'll see him face to face. The reality of his love for us will hit us like a truck. It will, and it will be incredible. Bart writes this, because the sun rises, all lights are extinguished. There'll be no need for them anymore. What we're really longing for is seeing Jesus face to face and knowing him fully even as he knows us fully. So therefore, we should long for the more excellent way, pursuing love, pursuing Jesus and the filling of his spirit, so that we embody it as a people and as a church, so that we can direct our gifts and the things that God gives us towards the common good, for building each other up, so that you're loved, so that others are cared for, so that others are built up and encouraged so that we can love our towns and our villages and the nations. If we love Jesus and if we pursue him by eagerly desiring to be filled with the Spirit and his gifts for one another, then the power will come. All you need is love? Not not quite. Because right now we need the gifts as well to build us up so that we know we're loved and so that we can come to full maturity as a church. So the, <coughs> excuse me, the Corinthians had these gifts in abundance, but their practice wasn't characterized by love. So it wasn't building up the body and it wasn't enabling people to encounter Jesus and his supernatural love. Um, thinking about here, I think we more have the opposite problem in that we have some of the gifts and they pop up from time to time, and it's a gentle encouragement. But there's more than this, isn't there? There's more than this. We don't have them in abundance in the way that we hope for. We want more prophecy, more tongues, more interpretation, 
more faith for the miraculous, more moments of healings, supernatural knowledge and wisdom. There must be more than this. Yeah? There must be. And perhaps you think, <coughs> I'm not really a spiritual person. I'm, I'm not the kind who would um, speak up in a meeting. I'm not one to kind of contribute. I don't, I don't really have a gift to bring. There's nothing I could really add to what's going on. I just do X, Y, and Z over here. Um, it sounds very humble, doesn't it? Very self-effacing, very modest, unpretentious, referential, submissive, all those kind of things. Can I put it to you that actually, in the context of this passage, it's a little bit selfish? Because that's all I, me, and more I. I couldn't do that. I couldn't do this. I couldn't. That's not really me. I'm not that kind of person. And what Jesus' supernatural love does, if it takes your eyes off yourself and your inadequacies and your feelings of inferiority or your feelings of uselessness, and they turn your eyes on Jesus. And that passage that Stuart read out, rather than feeling weary and weak, you're on wings like eagles, soaring, regardless of your age or how much of a cold you've got. <laughs> yeah? So what we need is Jesus' supernatural love to fill us with his Holy Spirit so that when you're thinking about, you know, or even being aware of, Jesus might pop something into my head this morning by his Spirit that might be for other people. So that when you're randomly thinking something in a meeting, you think, why do I think that? Let's carry on singing the song. No, 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 no. Jesus might have put that thought in your head for the rest of us. Don't go, it's for us. (laughs) Don't dismiss it. It's a gift for the rest of us. Hey, from that encourage. <laughs> and we need to hear that, don't we? That God encourages us, that we're forgiven. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you're sitting there with the weight of unforgiveness on your shoulders or on uh, somebody else's and you're seeing them drowning in it, you need to know Jesus has forgiven you, removed your sins as far as the east is from the west or theirs. And there's no more, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We stand before the Father, freely forgiven, knowing we're loved by him just as Jesus is loved. Uh, Go on. Uh, How much of an encouragement to know that somebody's bringing, being prompted about verses in scripture that later on we're preaching about. It's so comforting and encouraging as a speaker when you get up and you've had three or four words where you think, I can weave them all into what I'm saying this morning. They're totally relevant. Just makes you, oh, 
<laughs> makes preaching a lot easier. You just go, oh, you remember what so-and-so said? Yeah, that point. <laughs> Skip that section. <laughs> We've already heard that. Thank you. So, earnestly desire the higher gifts and spiritual gifts. Why? For us, for the common good, to build up the body. Um, none of us sit here going, uh, well, when you, when you have a gift to bring, you know, all sorts of things can well through your mind, can't they? I'm sitting there, I think, you know, Jesus, you know, pr- I feel a prompt that I've, something's bubbling up inside of me, and I haven't got any words, nothing's going on in my head, but I feel this fullness, and I know God wants me to bring a tongue. Oh, again. Ah, so James is always bringing a tongue. We should bring something else. Uh, I'm the only, only one who's doing it. So people will just think I'm speaking gobbledygook. Um, does it really encourage that people, or are they just sat there thinking, well, this is a load of nonsense, isn't it? All those things can go through your head. You get a prophetic word that you have, and suddenly your mind is crowded with, I couldn't do that because of this, or this will happen, or I'll feel like this, or da 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 we need Jesus' supernatural love to take our eyes off ourselves and onto others and bring them so that the church is built up um, and for a good. I love this writer, Phil Moore. <coughs> so a series of commentaries called Straight to the Heart series. This is his one on 1 and 2 Corinthians. Um, I've got this quote from this book. These are little short chapters. So there's a chapter. They're quite short and snappy to read. Quite good for if you just kind of getting going with spending time with God each morning. It's a really good one. It's, it reads like a commentary, but it's very readable. It's got stories and kind of analogies to help draw things out. Um, but it's, it's very good. He says this, This chapter is not a Shakespearean love sonnet, but a reminder that we are filled with the Spirit to love, with Christ's love as well as minister in his power. Our charismatic gifts will be replaced by something greater. Our incomplete knowledge will turn into face-to-face fellowship with God. And the greatest thing which will endure into eternity is Christ's agape, selfless love at work in our hearts. Does the band want to come back and uh, we'll, we'll respond um, briefly in the time that we've, we've got? <coughs> Thanks, Phil and Georgina, for starting us off. Um, it was great. I wonder if... Um, there's some of us who are, maybe it wasn't happening this morning, but we know that there are times when God, sponta- I, I think, I've got, yeah, I'll, I'll do it anyway, we'll go over time a little bit. I think culturally we have a little bit of a problem being a bit too premeditated. And I think supernatural love is sometimes spontaneous. I don't like wonder, at 8.55pm I'm going to give Jess a kiss. A really good one. I think she'll need it about then. Sometimes my heart bubbles up with love for my wife and she's engulfed before she knows it. Thinking, I've had the kids on me all day, get off me. <laughs> but it's spontaneous and it's beautiful most of the time. And uh, <laughs> I think church life needs to be a bit more like that. You don't worry too much about, pre- you know, if, if things are whirling around in your head, come and talk to us at the front. We'll help think it through and if, you, know, you know, work out with you what God's saying and how to communicate it well. But... Let's spontaneously f- feel the love of God together and be built up in it. Don't worry too much about, you know, if it's not quite right, that's all right. Most people just park it in their mind, they'll forget you even said it. You know, 
we'll hold on to the things that you know God was saying and uh, we'll be built up. Um, this should be a risky place to be. I should be literally on the edge of my seat wondering what on earth is going to happen this Sunday morning if the Spirit of God fills us with his supernatural love for one another that we're bold enough to speak out the things that God puts on our hearts for one another as we bubble up with love for each other. Sure. So um, if you're feeling that sense of, actually, that's, that's me, I, I need to be bold and courageous and full of love for my brothers and sisters here. And when I feel the prompting of God's Spirit, I want to contribute out of a sense of love for others rather than self-worry and concern or whatever it might be that gets in the way. If you're in that place, well, um, I know this is a bit bold, but would you stand as a sense of faith is action... And uh, as a sense of, actually, I'm, I need to open my mouth more often. I don't do it often enough. Don't feel obliged to just because other people are. But if you're a sense of, I could love my brothers and sisters better. Worthy of all the praise we could <laughs> Uh, Lord, we, um, we thank you that you have loved us with a supernatural, everlasting love that goes on into eternity when we'll know you face to face, when we'll know you just as you really are. We pray you would fill us with your love, with your spirit, so that we um, are urged on to earnestly desire gifts for our brothers and sisters, to build them up and do them good. And we pray that you would fill us with love, fill us with your spirit, Lord, so that people encounter Jesus' supernatural love here, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're not standing already, do you want to stand and join us and we'll sing together?